Hi, welcome to Ask a Pastor. This is a podcast that we're doing here at Orchard Hill just to respond to questions that you might have. If you're somebody who attends Orchard Hill or somebody who hasn't been part of Orchard Hill, we'd love to interact with your questions. And thanks for sending so many questions. Uh, We've had so many questions asked that we will get to them, but it may take a few podcast just to get to them. And our hope is to deliver a podcast every week uh, in different mediums that you can uh, can listen to and participate in. And today I'm joined by Joel Haldeman. Joel is a pastor in our Strip District location. Welcome, Joel. Yeah, thanks. And uh, before working in our Strip District location, uh, Joel also served uh, here in Wexford, uh, working with our middle school students and ministry, student ministry, uh, Kids Fest, Kids Ministry. He's done a lot of things and is a really nice knowledgeable uh, guy about scripture. And so we're really excited to have you be part of this. If you do have questions, you can send them to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com. And so Joel, the the first question that I have uh, is worded this way. It says, I've been married for five years and we married a little later in life. Uh, We started trying to conceive fairly early in our marriage and have not had success. I see people getting pregnant who don't try and can't provide a good home for a baby. Why would God allow this? How can I keep a faith in a God who doesn't seem to care hmm. about this longing in my heart? Yeah. My gut reaction to that is that that hurts and it hurts deeply. And I think for a lot of people in the church, that's a real struggle because it's one that we tend to hold uh, privately and don't share with other people. And uh, and I'm, I'm thankful for this question. I'm thankful that uh, just for the person to be thinking through, uh, thinking through that. I, I, I first want to say that I think the desire for kids is a good and it's a godly desire um, that God, uh, actually that's part of our sort of the creation mandate is to fill the earth and rule over it. And so for most people, I think that should be the desire to have kids and to have a job and rule over, mm-hmm. over the earth. Um, infertility uh, is a particularly um, common theme throughout the Bible. Um, just recently, we preached on Abraham and Sarai and how that affected their life. Uh, Samuel, um, in First Samuel 1, uh, his mother deals with that. John the Baptist, um, and there are a couple others just in Genesis where we have examples of people that dealt with it in a really godly, uh, honoring way and people who did it in a, in a really poor way. Um, and I think at the heart of this question, uh, what we're really responding to is not so much infertility, but it's pain. You know, whether that's, you know, losing someone that we love or, um, or just dealing with some sort of heartbreak in life, why does God allow that to happen? And, uh, and how do we respond to it? I mean, would you agree that that's mm-hmm. kind of at the heart of this question? Yeah, I, I think what makes infertility maybe a little harder is that you do look around, I think the question alludes to this, and you see people who seem to look at each other and they get pregnant, and people yeah. who maybe say, y- you know what, I, I don't even want another child or don't have the capacity to care for a family and then somebody else says this is the longing of our heart and it doesn't seem to happen i think that yeah. that changes the pain from from just i'm suffering to yeah. something that feels almost like a cosmic 
um, singling out sure. uh, in a way. And, I, and I, I would think that that's part of what's, what's in this question. So, so yeah. how, how do you, how, what would you say to somebody who says, that's been the longing of my heart and my sister got pregnant and didn't yeah. want a baby. And I watched, you know, somebody who isn't married and doesn't want kids right. and they got pregnant and yeah. on and on. I think I'd um, just first say that when we think of the story of the Bible, um, we can think of it in sort of four periods, and the first being God living in perfect relationship with humans. There is no infertility. There is no miscarriage. There's no, there's no suffering because we're in the presence of God. The second being that sin, uh, humans rebel. We push back from God, and sin separates us from the perfect presence of God. Um, the third being God pursuing us, and this is where we live. We live in Act 3. God is pursuing us with his grace and bringing us back to him but we still live with this sort of consequence of sin where we want to root out the consequence of sin. We want to root out the pain by drawing near to God, uh, but we're never going to do that totally. And then the fourth, of course, is when God brings us perfectly into his presence. Mm-hmm. Um, living in this third act, I think, is just so challenging because, you know, and, you know, to this person, you might feel along the way like this pain that you're going through uh, and maybe somebody even says this to you, is because of your sin or because of your lack of faith. And I just think that that's not an appropriate way to think about that. It's not an appropriate thing to say to somebody um, because we don't know that. Um, and oftentimes the pain that we live with in this life is just the result of the presence of sin all around us. Um, you know, I was in thinking about this, just thinking of our story of adopting two kids, and that was just full of so much heartache, Mm -hmm. and I've shared that story here before. Um, My dad passed away uh, pretty quickly in that same Mm -hmm. period, and there was just so much pain in all of that, Um, and, but at the same time, that was all a result of just the presence of sin in our world. So, so let me just ask you, and thanks for, for bringing that up, and, and certainly, you know, you've walked this in some ways, maybe not the exact infertility path, but right. the path of longing for kids, seeing yeah. them in your home, taken out of the home, other loss. How did you and Amy keep your faith in God personally strong yeah. in the twists and turns in your own life? Yeah, I think... Um, two things that come to mind immediately. The first is that uh, we had a child with us uh, in foster care who was sent back to the uh, birth parents very suddenly. And that was really hard for us because we knew that wasn't a good situation. And what, what that did for us spiritually was it reminded us that um, as much as I want to control this situation, that God is a better father than I could ever be. And, uh, and, and, I, and I just need to trust him as much as that hurts and as much as it, it is hard to say um, that he's going to take care of that child. Um, the second thing I'd say is that uh, in losing my dad, like what that taught me was just this greater love and longing for mm-hmm. heaven. And, uh, and I look at that, and of course I miss him, but I'm so thankful for the spiritual lessons that I was able to learn through that. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, for, for those of you who might be struggling with, with infertility or any real hardship, pain in life, uh, the question of how do I keep faith is there is no easy answer uh, to that. There's no, here's three steps you can take. And what you heard Joel say is that, is that he was able to step back and say God's heart is still good and one day things will be restored. And I think however you get there, 
And, and what's hard is that's what you're questioning. You're starting to say, I'm not sure God's heart is good because I, I, I don't see it. And I'm not sure that, that one day all things will be restored. But, but those are the, the bedrocks of being able to say, I, I still have a faith in God and what God and his purposes are for me, regardless of what I'm going through. Um, for a lot of people, they find uh, community, walking with others helpful. For some, it's, it, it is worship. For some, staying away from worship for a while feels right. I, I think anytime you do that for a prolonged period of time, that becomes problematic uh, just for your own soul. But, but for some people, it's just so raw, it's hard to even, even experience um, that. Um, but, but, but either way, coming back and saying, how do I get my perspective to those things is, mm. is, is important. Joel, there's, a, there's another question that was uh, written. It's a little lengthy, but let me, let me read this. I'm wondering if you, would take, if you would take on explaining judgment better. I have a hard time understanding. We often hear talk about how one day we'll be judged. But we believe we are already forgiven of our sins by what Jesus has done for us. This is confusing to me because if we're forgiven, why are there references to us being judged after this life? I once read somewhere that this is when we are given the rewards we have been promised, but I'm not sure if this is biblical uh, that, uh, or if this, what the possible explanation is. Can you clarify this? So basically, the, the question is, um, if we're forgiven in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ died on the cross so that people who believe in Jesus uh, don't face judgment, and yet we read about judgment. Uh, are believers still judged? H how does that all fit together? I love this question um, because I think it's so important, and I think understanding uh, th sort of the answer to this is really significant for us spiritually. Um, a, a couple things uh, that's being referenced there, I believe it's 1 Corinthians uh, 3 where Paul talks about um, uh, things will be revealed by the fire and if they've built with things that don't last then they'll be burned up um, and if they build with the things that have meaning, uh, you know, trust in, in God, the reliance on the gospel, that those are the things that will uh, last and there will be rewards and loss of rewards. Two other verses in this that are important, uh, I believe it's 2 Corinthians 6, um, where Paul basically says, we're gonna appear before the judgment seat. Um, and, uh, and he's writing to Christians, and he's a Christian, and he's saying we. Um, so yeah, we know from that that Christians will experience some sort of judgment. But also, I uh, believe it's First Thessalonians, uh, I'm gonna miss the reference on this, but um, Paul specifically says that we are not destined for the wrath of God. Um, and so I think there are two, th two things that we need to understand that are not entirely the same, and it's God's judgment and God's wrath. Um, God's judgment is a good thing. Judgment has to do with justice. It has to do with a, with a judge making a right decision, whereas wrath has to do with sort of this retribution, this punishment of sin. We want God to judge us, and that's hard to say, um, but, you know, just think about your, your, your family. Um, in everybody's family, they have conflict, and some people have deep uh, really hard conflict in their family so that you can't even be around another person. Well, imagine, you know, going to heaven one day and being around these people uh, that were Christians but still harmed you deeply and there being no sense of that being made right. That's in a sense what judgment does, that we all will appear before God. God will make a decision. He's going to call out what was right and what was wrong and then we can live in harmony and there's not going to be this awkward tension all over the place. 
Um, and so I would say that justice is actually a really good thing, something that we should uh, actually look forward to in a sense. Uh, another reason why is simply that for anybody who has ever lived a lie, for anybody who has ever lived uh, just with something that's hidden, Judgment Day is an opportunity where everything's going to be made known, and that might be terrifying, but for all of eternity, we're gonna live completely known with nothing hidden, and I think that's incredibly freeing. Um, what, what yeah, are your... uh, that's good. Um, you know, just to uh, geek out for a moment here on, on the question, and what I mean by that is, is just indulge me for a moment. So, so usually when people talk about judgment, they lump all future judgment together into one event. And from the Bible, my understanding, and I think this is pretty widely shared by commentators on the Bible today, is there's actually two judgments. Mm -hmm. There's what's called the Great White Throne Judgment, which uh, in Revelation, I think it's 2021, we, we read about that, which I believe is the judgment of salvation, the judgment of what have you done with Jesus, where, where your sins are forgiven, you're ushered into the kingdom or not, based on what you did with Jesus. And then 1 Corinthians 3, which Joel referenced, uh, talks about another judgment, and it says we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And the Greek word that's used there, and this is the part I'm saying, I'm gonna geek out for a second, is bima, and it's referred to as the bima seat judgment of Christ, which is the idea that even after the great white throne, uh, believers will be judged by how they've lived their lives. And so what, what that means, as you think about judgment, is simply saying I'm forgiven and God, uh, through Jesus Christ, has forgiven me, therefore I can do whatever I want, doesn't mean you'll never face an evaluation for it. And so right. things will be known. The, the, the things that you've left undone, the things that you've thought, the things that you've said. Mm. And, and so there is a motivation, even past forgiveness, uh, to say, I still will one day stand before God and give an account mm. for how I've lived my life. Now, now what, what's hard, and I think as uh, whoever asked this question, you, you're asking it in a, in a great way because you're saying that this is confusing to me. If I'm forgiven and, and all of that, then, then will I regret uh, somehow stepping away from, from following God and all of that. And my reading ultimately of the New Testament is we'll be so overjoyed in the presence of Christ that there mm -hmm. won't be regret. How does that work with, with facing judgment for the time that I blew up and lost my temper or you know, I said something, did something, thought something that was not glorifying to God, that wasn't who I wanna be? I don't know. Uh, I don't have a great answer for that. Yeah. But, but I know that those two categories exist and it's important not to, not to so meld them together that I don't realize that I'll still stand before God and give an account. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, this is just a speculation, I guess, but um, I would say that when we talk about rewards in heaven, it's not gonna be like, man, that guy's got a big house. Look at that one. He yeah. must've been really good. There's not gonna be these rewards that are like status symbols. You know, if yeah. I were to just take a stab in the dark, I would say the reward is gonna be just the praise of God for right. him to say, you know, well done. And that's the most significant reward that any of us could receive. That, that's a great point. Cause you hear people sometimes talk about things like, oh, you know, bigger house or even the jokes about, you know, the quarterbacks. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that. <laughs> about, you, you know, the, the, the big Steeler fan house and then it's God's house rather than, you, you know, yeah. it, all of that. I, that. That didn't probably make sense. But uh, yeah, the, the idea being that, that, yes, we get these status symbols that somehow equate to what we yeah. see as status symbols here. 
and I think you're right that, that they'll be different, but, but it will be known. And yeah. we will wish, I believe at that point, that we had been more faithful, not yeah. less. Yeah. Um, more invested, less selfless, not the other way around. Here's, a, here's another question, and this one's short, but uh, deep, and that is, what do you make of the Catholic Church's priest scandal uh, that's come to light in recent days? Um, got reaction as it's terrible. Um, and I'm glad it's come to light. And uh, I was uh, immediately thought of uh, this verse in Matthew, actually it's in all the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, where Jesus brings a child before his disciples and says, um, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, um, referring not, probably not just to children, but to anybody who's kind of weak or young in the faith, um, it would be better for a millstone to be tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. And uh, I think that is a, a very strong, stinging, mm. uh, stinging word. Um, thought also of uh, Ezekiel 34, where God confronts the shepherds of Israel. Shepherds is a motive throughout the Bible, uh, motif um, that refers to the leaders. And, uh, and he says, you know, you have, says to the, to the shepherds, you have eaten the flock. You, you have taken advantage of them. You haven't cared for them. So I'm done with you. And then he says, I'm going to shepherd these people. Um, and then, of course, Jesus shows up in the New Testament and says, I am the good shepherd. And so, uh, oh, and then, of course, uh, Proverbs talks about, uh, there's this line that says, uh, rescue those who are being led away to the slaughter. But if you say, we knew nothing of this, mm. does not he who, uh, yeah. what does it say? Does not he who... <laughs> you uh, basically are as guilty as the person exactly. who, who's perpetrated the abuse. If yeah. you he are sees somebody, your motive. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, if you act like, hey, I didn't know, and right. you knew, you're complicit. Yeah. Yeah, which is horrifying in this situation to right. think that, that again, um, some of the hierarchy chose to assign priests that they knew had had the issue in one parish to another yeah. parish. And, and it's certainly easy to sit on the outside and make statements about that. But, um, you know, I think, I think I'm just heartbroken for the victims, for those who have, yeah. who have suffered in that, especially as these reports have come out. I mean, maybe as many as a thousand kids, 300 priests involved and generations of, of shame and pain. And obviously that, that shouldn't be in any institution, especially not in the church. And so that's, that, that's hard. Uh, Joel, what, what would you say to somebody who says, I always knew that I couldn't trust the church um, mm. and this just proves it more and more. I mean, how, how would you, uh, what would you say to somebody who, who says, that's it, I've just, I'm writing off all institutional yeah. religion because of this kind of stuff. And it isn't just the Catholic church, Protestant churches have had stuff. They may not be all tied together so they don't get reassigned, but right. you know, it's not like Protestants are without scandals. Oh, man, I guess I would say, first of all, um, I, I wouldn't write off the whole idea of church. Um, I would be protective of your children. And, uh, you know, we, we've said at Orchard Hill that we take some really uh, strong safeguards to make sure kids are taken care of. I would say protect your kids and, um, and be concerned about that. Um, but, uh, man, the church is full of dysfunctional people, and therefore it's going to have sin in it. Um, it's going to have dysfunction even in its organization. And what the church what we believe about the church is not that we are uh, the upright, the, the great moral, uh, although we, we hope to be, we strive to be, um, 
what we see in ourselves is people that are beggars uh, who are looking towards the love of Christ and we see our brokenness and we admit our brokenness. Um, of course, you know, what we want to establish in all of our churches, what we try to do here is accountability um, so that there's not this, uh, there's not a single person who has the ability to, you know, to make unilateral choices. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's what I'd say to somebody is don't, don't give up on, don't give up on Christ because of what his followers have done. Yeah, and don't be afraid to, to hold an institution that you're a part of to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, to say where is the leadership and where did it fall down and to demand better. Um, you know, one of the things at Orchard Hill, being a local church, an independent church with no higher authority is all of our authority rests in the congregation and in the, the leadership that is locally selected and, and put in place. And, and the upside of that is, is there's a group of people who see and hold accountable everything that our staff does uh, here at the church. And, and that's, that's healthy and right. And so to say, I, as a participant in any organization, have a responsibility that if I see something that seems a little off, to say, I don't want to be a part of something where I just turn that blind eye. And I think that's true of schools, businesses. Uh, if you're a person of faith, not of faith, and you see something that, that seems off. You know, if you're in a workplace environment where it seems like somebody's being discriminated against or, or there's a power imbalance that, that might lead to some sexual kinds of, of people taking advantage of others, don't just sit idly by. Uh, because in the church scandal that we're talking about, it wasn't probably just the priest who knew about it and let mm. it happen, but there were probably others who said, we don't want this to, to give a bad name to the church, so let's just deal with it quietly. And, and, and I think, Joel, what you just said is really important. If a church's view of itself is saturated in what we'd call the gospel, which is, which is we're all sinful people in need of a savior, then we're able to be authentic hmm. even with the worst things and say, this happened. Um, this happened in our midst and, and this is awful and we're deeply sorry for what happened. Yeah but we're not necessarily shocked that, that sometimes people do things that are sinful and we don't feel the need to present ourselves as anything other than we are, which is broken. Now, having said that, I certainly hope and pray that, that these stories uh, are reduced, don't happen uh, as often, certainly not at Orchard Hill, but again, we're not a perfect church. And so, you know, we can't even promise that. We can take our safeguards, which we've done, yeah. keep working at it, but that's, that's really what we have the opportunity to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, we're going to leave it there. Uh, Joel, thank you for joining us today. Again, if you have questions, please submit them to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com and we'll do our best to to get to them in the days ahead. So thank you and uh, glad that you were able to join Ask a Pastor today. 